0: episode 14 of all those things revealed i ran in the direction of my cottage my mind was racing where was father brady where was shannon i would tell father and he would stop this madness the rain had begun to fall steadily my face stung from the slap i had received and my eyes burned with tears i ran as fast as i could I reached my family's cottage. I was breathless. My chest burned. Father had returned, and both mother and father looked at me with surprise when I burst into the cottage. Father was wearing his coat as if he had just returned or was about to leave. Una is being driven away. The villagers are forcing her out of the village. I tried to help, but a man hit me. I couldn't get past him to help her, I said, tears brimming over my eyes. Father, you must help her, I said. Father walked to me and touched my reddened cheek where the man had slapped me. We cannot interfere. These are their ways. You must remember that, he said, caressing my reddened cheek. I stared at him in disbelief. I would have slapped you too, he said in a cold, even tone. He turned away from me and walked out of the cottage. I shook my head, but I did not speak. I knew that he was wrong. Their ways were our ways because their truths were our truths. That is what father had taught me, and now he denied it. Mother stood aloof. I felt nothing but disgust for both of them at that time. I returned to my room. I tore off my shawl and sank onto my bed. I felt defeated. I thought of all that I had seen. I shuddered at the thought of Una's humiliation and I worried for her safety. I asked myself again about the whereabouts of Father Brady and Shannon. I thought of Father McMahon's hateful and vile words that incited the crowd. He had challenged a crazed and excited crowd to attack a woman. He was a coward. I sat up abruptly. Father McMahon was a coward. He must have known that Father Brady would not be with Una. He knew, I said aloud. I quickly grabbed my shawl and went to my door. Father had left. I heard Mother upstairs with Eamon's body. I quietly walked to the front door and carefully opened it. As soon as I had closed the door behind me, I began to run. I ran to the only person that I knew could help, even though I did not know him at all. I ran to Dunas' house. It did not take long for me to reach the main gate. As I ran to the gate, Mr. Macy's carriage was preparing to leave. His driver slowed. Mr. Macy emerged from his carriage. He motioned for me to approach him. I did not wait on ceremony. I rushed towards Mr. Macy. The village has gone mad, I blurted out. Calm yourself, dear, he said. I stopped and took a deep breath. I have heard that something has happened, but I was given no details. I was on my way to the village just now. Can you tell me what has happened, he asked in a calm voice. I looked at his face. He was concerned and was clearly making an effort to keep his voice calm. "'The villagers turned on Miss O'Day. "'They are driving her out of the village. "'Father McMahon, he,' I said before Mr. Macy, "'cut me off in mid-sentence. "'That son of a bitch,' he said in an angry, low voice. "'After a few moments, he returned his gaze to me and added, "'Get into my carriage. "'We are going to your family now.' "'He reached for my hand. "'I was soon pulled into the carriage.' We sped away at a dangerously fast pace. I sat quietly with my hands folded in front of me. Mr. Macy looked at me. He forced a smile. I'll take care of this, he said. We arrived within a few minutes. Mother opened our front door and looked with surprise when I emerged from the carriage, followed by Mr. Macy. Mr. Macy ran to our front door. Mother ushered him in. She gave me a long look. "'Mrs. DeLamar, I need to speak with you and your husband immediately,' Mr. Macy said. Mother nodded. "'My husband should be returning soon. He had to go to the village to find some men. Our lodger has passed away. The sickness has found our home,' she said. Mr. Macy pondered this for a few moments. "'Then I will speak with you, and you can relate this to your husband,' he said. He sighed and looked towards our table. "'May I sit down?' he asked." Mother was flustered and I could see that she was too rattled to respond properly. I spoke before Mother could answer. ''Yes, of course, Mr. Macy, please sit down,'' I said. Mr. Macy walked to our table and took a chair. He leaned forward and cupped his face in his hands. He looked up at Mother, who was still standing and watching him with amazement. ''Mrs. DeLamar, Father Brady and Una O'Day recently exchanged vows.'' Their union was solemnized by another Caliday priest. Father Brady did not have permission from his bishop superior. On the day of their nuptials, Adam Maloney, a cousin of Father Brady, informed our official parish priest, Father McMahon, he said. I gasped when I heard this. Father McMahon sent Adam to the bishop superior in Ennis with a letter informing him of the nuptials, he continued. I thought of Father McMahon shouting obscenities at Father Brady and Una. I thought of how he had incited a crowd to attack Una. I thought of his angry countenance and how spittle flew from his mouth when he shouted his denouncements. I could well imagine what Father McMahon must have written to Father Brady's Bishop Superior. I felt sick to my stomach. Apparently, Adam waited for a response, and the bishop gave him one immediately in the form of an official summons. Father Brady was ordered to report to his bishop and answer for his behavior with the threat of excommunication looming over him, he concluded. Is Father Brady in Ennis now? I asked. Mr. Macy looked at me and nodded. Yes, Adam returned with the summons within a day. Father Brady left for Ennis two days ago. He took Sean and Maloney with him as a traveling companion, he said. Father Brady doesn't know yet, I said, my voice trailing off. Mr. Macy looked at Mother. No, he does not, and he needs to be told as soon as possible. He is a good man. Uno O'Day is a good woman. Mrs. DeLamar, will you and your husband go to Father Brady and bring him this terrible news, he asked. Mother was silent for a time. Mr. Macy, why should it be me and my husband? We do not know him well, she said. After what has happened in the village, I cannot say that I trust many of the villagers, and Father Brady certainly will not on hearing this news. I need to send someone that he trusts, he said. Mother nodded in agreement. We will do it. We will leave tomorrow at first light, she said. You will need to bring Costanza, he said. Mother and I looked at him with surprise. Why? I asked. You are the one he trusts, Mr. Macy said, looking directly at me. If he trusts you, then I do too, he added. The next day we left very early as father insisted that we arrive before nightfall. Ennis was only a six hours journey, but father believed that it would take us longer than six hours to reach Ennis. He was correct. Our heavy carriage was pulled by only one horse, which slowed our progress. Rain and mud further slowed our progress. When we reached the town of Ennis, I began to think of Athlone. The narrow streets and stone buildings were so similar to Athlone's. Our carriage crossed over the River Fergus. I looked through the window at the town as it went past me. Ennis takes its name from the Irish word innis, which means island, because an island was formed between the two courses of the River Fergus, on which a great monastery was built many centuries earlier. As with so many Irish towns, Ennis's foundation stone was a monastery. We finally stopped outside of a boarding house not far from the courthouse and the main markets. Our senses were bombarded with the typical scents and sounds of a busy Irish town. I was assailed with the sense of fish, the river, manure, and cooking food. I heard the shouting of a fishmonger. Her shrill voice resonated from the town's market square. Her shouts competed and commingled with a man's booming voice calling out the produce he had to sell. not far away. A child screamed father led us to the boarding house i saw a crucifix above the front door and realized that this boarding house was probably used for visiting priests and their families father knocked loudly and a woman dressed very plainly opened the door she wore a large apron over her worn dress her hair was pulled severely away from her face into a tight bun She was not much older than me, but the severity of her dress and bearing gave her an air of someone much older. We were ushered inside. She led us to a waiting room and asked us to sit. We followed her slowly as we carried our things. I was tired from our journey. I was eager to see my room and I hoped that I would not be forced to carry my things up a flight of stairs. I looked at mother and father, and they too seemed spent by our journey. We did as she asked and collapsed into some chairs in a sitting room. As soon as we did so, she abruptly left. I looked around the room and saw that it was as severe as the woman who had greeted us. It was spacious, but the windows were small and did not allow for much light to enter the room. Subsequently, the entire room was dim, It was furnished with a small sofa, some chairs, a desk, and a narrow table that was pushed up against the wall. The furniture was dark and plain, which added to the depressive ambience of the room. I was expecting to be brought tea and was surprised when Father Brady and Shannon entered the room. Their expressions were very grave. It was clear that they had already been informed of the terrible events that had occurred. I wondered when they had been told and by whom. I soon had answers to these questions that flooded my head because Adam entered the room. Shannon looked at me and would not take his eyes off of me. His look penetrated me. It was a mixture of sadness, regret, and compassion. I was taken aback by the force of it. His look was not accusatory or angry, but instead it conveyed loss, total and absolute loss. I thought of the man that I had seen carrying his dead daughter. Shannon's eyes mirrored some of that man's despair as he looked at me. It frightened me. As I returned his gaze, I was completely unsettled. Father Brady looked at me too and offered me a weak smile. His smile did little to put me at ease. Adam walked past both of them and did not look at me, father or mother. He seated himself near father. I watched him and wondered how he could have reached Father Brady and Shannon before anyone else. Why had he even bothered to come to them? Perhaps Father McMahon had sent him, but why would he have bothered? As I pondered these things, my eyes returned to Shannon. He looked away. I could see that it hurt him to do so. I watched him for a time before I looked to Father Brady. His expression was as sad as it was grave. He glanced at me again, his eyes lingering on me before he spoke to all of us. Mr. and Mrs. DeLamar, Costanza, thank you for coming to see me. Adam Maloney has told me of the terrible events that occurred in the village. And, Father Brady said, his voice trailed off and he cleared his throat and finished. And of the even more terrible consequences, he said, choking on the words. Father and Mother looked at each other. I stared at Father Brady. He had fallen silent and he was struggling to continue. He took a deep breath and composed himself. Father Brady... Mr. Macy has asked us to come and tell you that Miss Una O'Day has been forced to leave the village. We came as soon as he asked us to, but we have not had a chance to find out where she went. We will do all that we can to help you find her, Father said. He paused for a moment and added with more emphasis, We will find her. We were hoping that she had fled to you, Mother added. Father Brady shook his head. No, she did not have a chance to do so, he said in a very quiet voice. I followed her in the hopes that I would catch up to her. I believed that she was on her way to Ennis, but she traveled via Limerick. By the time I found the inn in which she took shelter, she had fallen ill and died. Before her death, she had told the innkeeper to send her body to her family at Desert O'Day, Adam said. ''How is that possible?'' I asked incredulously. ''I believe that she was unwell before she was forced to leave the village. She may have already been suffering from a fever when she took to the road,'' Adam said. ''Adam did not meet my eyes when he answered me. I did not believe him. I did not want to believe him. How could Una have succumbed to the fever so quickly? I knew that when she was dragged out of her cottage she appeared to be well. Then again, how could she still be alive? Surely if she was, she would have gone to Father Brady. Why would she have gone to Limerick? Perhaps she had relations in Limerick. The cost of sending her body to Desert O'Day would have been considerable, and an innkeeper would not have agreed to this without some form of payment. Una had not had a chance to gather her things, and probably left with only the clothes on her back. She would have fled to someone she knew and trusted. Since she did not go to Father Brady, she must have gone to relations for help. Her relations must have sheltered her and then taken care of her body when she passed away. I began to doubt myself. I saw that Father Brady did not doubt Adam, This, in and of itself, was enough to make Adam's story plausible. My head swam with these ideas, and I found myself suddenly exhausted. I'm sorry for your loss, Father said. And I, Mother added. Have you met with your Bishop Superior? Father asked. No, I am still waiting to be summoned, Father Brady said. I looked at Father Brady's face. He was pale and looked so tired. I know that all of you must be tired from your journey. You will be shown to your room soon, he added. He cleared his throat. Mr. DeLamar and Mrs. DeLamar, I need to speak with both of you privately before you retire for the evening, he said. Father and Mother glanced at one another. I could see that they were surprised. I was surprised, too. I wondered why Father Brady needed to speak with them before they had rested. Why couldn't it wait until the following day? Shannon left the room. Adam slowly got up from his chair. It was then that I noticed that he was sweating. He immediately sat back down and closed his eyes. Father stood up abruptly and went to Adam. He helped him to his feet. I will help you to your room, he murmured. Adam looked at Father imploringly, but he didn't speak. Father and Adam slowly left the room. As they did, Shannon returned. His eyes widened when he saw Father and Adam. He looked at Mother. "'Your rooms are ready. I will show you to them. Follow me,' he said, as he walked past Mother and reached for a trunk that Father had dragged in. Father Brady reached for Mother's large trunk. I had taken a smaller trunk, but it was still heavy. I dragged it as I followed Shannon down a narrow hall.' He stopped in front of one door and called to me, "'Costanza, this room is yours.' "'Thank you,' I murmured. Mother continued to follow him down the hall. I opened the door to my room and entered. I adjusted my eyes to the lighting, which was even poorer than the lighting in the sitting room. The room was very small. It was furnished with a small bed, a chest, and a small table. A chair was pressed up against the table.' I closed the door behind me. As soon as I did, I heard a knock on the door. I opened it and saw Shannon. He handed me a candle with a candle holder. Shannon, I began. He looked down and I could see that he was on the verge of tears. He would not look me in the eye. He reached for the doorknob and closed the door between us. I stood motionless and stunned. I pressed my head against the door my thoughts raced as i thought of how shannon had looked at me when he had entered the waiting room his face was that of a broken man i wondered if he had finally learned of my secret i felt my face flush at the thought of it his strange behavior must be his reaction to learning of my shame i felt tears well up in my eyes and i blinked them away I sat in my room in an agitated state for more than an hour until I finally heard another knock on my door. I opened my door and found the young servant girl holding towels and washing water. I opened my door wider and she entered. She placed both on my small table. She looked at me blankly. Will you please follow me? She asked. I followed her down the hall and soon found myself in the kitchen. It smelled of roasted meat, strong tea, and bread. My stomach rumbled, and I tried to think of the last time I had eaten. It had been a small meal when I first woke. I was surprised to find myself standing in a kitchen. She looked at me and saw the surprise on my face. Our dining room is in use for as long as it takes Father Brady and your parents to finish. I thought that you must be hungry after your journey, she said, motioning towards the table that was presumably used by the servants i could see that the girl was embarrassed you are also welcome to eat in your room but it is so small that i doubt you would be comfortable she added quickly i forced a smile thank you i appreciate this i would be happy to eat in the kitchen i said I knew that the girl would probably have gotten into some sort of trouble if it had been found out that she had offered to feed a guest in the kitchen where the servants ate. She was taking a risk by offering this option to me. I must have looked as though I needed a meal. She smiled at me. Will you tell everyone that you ate in your room? She asked. I nodded and sat down. She brought me tea. Soon I was brought a hot meal of beef, potatoes, cabbage, bread, and butter. My mouth watered at the aromas, and it did not take long for me to finish all that had been placed on my plate. I was brought more tea. I sipped my tea and enjoyed the relative quiet. I could hear activity in the room next to mine and assumed that it was the main part of the kitchen. The kitchen was large, much larger than I would have assumed it to be. When I had finished my dinner and tea, I returned to my room. I carried another cup of tea with me. I carefully walked down the hall and entered my room. Placing the tea on the table, I closed the door. I heard a knock on my door and assumed that the girl had brought me something else. I opened my door and was surprised to see Father. His expression was solemn. I need to speak with you, he said. I opened the door wider and he entered my room. I motioned towards the chair. I sat on the edge of the bed. He grabbed the chair and positioned it closer to me before sitting in it. I could see that he was uncomfortable. I searched his face, but he would not look directly at me. Father, what is it? I asked. Father leaned forward in the chair. His hands were clasped in front of him. He looked at me for a moment before looking at his hands. You are to marry Father Brady, he said simply and plainly. I stared at him in disbelief. Father took advantage of my silence. Father Brady is writing his bishop superior to inform him of his desire to leave the priesthood. He will marry you in a small ceremony tomorrow so that his bishop cannot refuse him. We will wait a few days in the hope that Adam will recover enough to travel. Then we will all return to Clonlara, Father added. His voice was low and devoid of emotion. Do I have any say in the matter? I asked. My words provoked Father. He glared at me. No, you do not. It has been decided. He is saving you from a great shame. You should be thankful, he said. He got up and abruptly walked out of my room. I sat on my bed. I was stunned, angry, and confused. I knew that Father Brady had decided this as soon as he had learned of Una's death. He must have told Shannon. The thought of Shannon flooded me with relief and anguish. He had not rejected me. He did want me, but he believed that he could not have me. His sentiments were the same as mine towards him. This knowledge was bittersweet because I knew that I could not defy my father and mother. I had to marry Father Brady. I wondered why Father Brady had made such a decision so soon after learning of Una's death. I knew that he loved Una and that he must mourn for her. I knew that he wanted to spare me the shame of being an unwed mother, too. But he could do that by marrying me in a week or more. Why did he feel the need to do so now? I was bewildered and completely overwhelmed. I thought of Shannon again and a tear rolled down my cheek. I sat in the dark for hours, unable to do anything else. I don't know when I fell asleep, but I eventually did. This episode of All Those Things Revealed is based on a novel of the same name, available in print and Kindle formats at Amazon.com. Thank you for listening to the Iris Stories podcast.